uh, inside black and gold. I'm Jeff Noy, as always, alongside Steve Geller. We're going to bring in Chris Emma, reporter for 670 to score and Odyssey covering the Bears. And, you know, you know, Chris, I, it, the, the Bears always fascinate me. But what's more fascinating is we're, we're coming down here and the Bears are showing up and suddenly it's 50 degrees in New Orleans. It seems like they're just projecting the weather ahead of them just so in time for them to come down and be like, oh, it's not that cold. I mean, we'd love 50 degrees. It was like <laughs> high 20s and snowing at Halloween. Those kids who are trick-or-treating must have been miserable. Like, I mean, here in Chicago, and it was 80 a week ago, too. So we went straight from summer to winter here. Not great. So yeah. I would uh, I would love and savor some 50 degrees. For sure. Um, you know, something that, uh, you know, probably isn't being loved and savored right now is, is the quarterback situation in, in Chicago and two and six. And it's just weird. Tyson Bajan, a guy I actually saw at the senior bowl was mildly impressed with, but I didn't see, I didn't look at him and be like, ah, that's the future starter in the NFL right there. So, I mean, what, what has Tyson Bajan kind of shown over the two and a half games you've seen him and, and what, what should the saints expect there? He's a great story, and that story's been told now plenty. I mean, undrafted kid out of D2 Shepherd University, uh, shattered D2 passing records. Statistically speaking, one of the greatest college quarterbacks of any different division, any level. Like, the guy had an unbelievable career. But the reality is, like, he's a little bit limited in terms of arm strength and arm talent. That's why he went undrafted. Like, that's it. He's got everything you wanted a quarterback in terms of makeup, in terms of the IQ, the smarts, uh, the moxie. I mean, this kid is just not phased by anything. Like, he overtook P.J. Walker for that number two role. The Bears were plenty comfortable with him being that guy behind Justin Fields and being one play away. Yeah, I, I texted with a scout uh, a couple weeks ago when Bajan first stepped in, and he said, look, this guy's got everything you want except for the arm talent. I think he, the word he was, like, used was like alarming lack of talent. He, just, he doesn't have that cannon of an arm. He's not the guy that's going to beat you over the top 60 yards downfield. They dropped that dime. But he's got everything you want in terms of uh, what it takes to be successful in this position. He's worked his butt off. He's going to be in this league for a number of years, I believe, whether that is as a low-end starter, as a backup. But good for him. I mean, this guy has maximized what he's been given. He's been put in this position because he's worked so dang hard. Like, even this offseason, during that break between the offseason program and training camp, like, he was running plays just in his backyard around some field in West Virginia, trying to understand every bit of Luke Getz's offense. Like, He's put himself in this position because of the work he's brought into this point. Um, you're going to see a guy who's very comfortable, even in what's going to be the most intimidating atmosphere he's faced and probably will ever face in his young career. Uh, I think he's going to still look confident and comfortable out there. I'm curious, Chris, what's your feel on coaching with Eberflus and what's been going on this season? Obviously, I, I don't think we've ever seen like two assistant coaches go out the, the way we have this year and are, are we kind of with the stockpile of draft picks that that are now ahead is it kind of like almost signaling uh this could be the end for Eber, the Eberflus era already or is there confidence in him there no nah, there's not much confidence in him. It's <laughs> okay. just, it, look if five and 20 speaks for itself uh he used the term yesterday. He said, well, we won two of our last four games. It's okay. You still have one consecutive <laughs> games over 25 games as head coach. Right. Um, there's the understanding that he was taking over a rebuilding team. 
Uh, he was leading a young roster that was going to be in transition under the watch of Ryan Poles. And it was going to be a very difficult challenge for him in terms of building a winning culture here. 3-14 and 14 in your first year. You tear things down late October at the trade deadline. Uh, this team is really bare bones by the end of the season. They were down to second, third, fourth string in a lot of key positions. They were completely outmanned when healthy. And once you take guys out of the equation, they were completely lost. 3-14 and 14 was no accident. But they were supposed to be a lot better this year. Like, I'm not saying contention, winning the NFC North, but being there at that seven, eight, maybe nine wins if everything really goes your way, and you're a team that's kind of on the outer edge of that last wild card spot, they're two and six. They've been horrendous for most of this season, and that's on the field. Off the field has been a disaster. I mean, you start the year with a horrible loss, you lose your defensive coordinator, just vanishes a week later. Say it's a resignation. We know there's a lot more to that story out there. You have Justin Fields call upon the coaching staff for a scheme that makes him, as he said, less robotic. You have Chase Claypool call out the coaching staff saying that they're not putting him in a position to be successful. He's traded days later. You've just had loss after loss through this all. Now you get a second coach and the running backs coach, David Walker, that is fired this week for misconduct, as the team said, and not living up to a standard. We don't know the specifics. HR was involved. It does not seem good. Great. A reflection of Eberflus and the coaching staff. Like, oftentimes when these teams fall apart, you think it's a player thing and you got the wrong guys. Like, you feel bad for the players. They've been kind of stuck in the middle of this. And this is a team that's been in transition trying to find the fruits of these labors and some success down the road. They're not even close to that right now. It's hard to make a case for Eberflus going forward after this season. We'll see about uh, Ryan Poles, general manager. There's a new president now, Kevin Warren, the former Big Ten commissioner. He's going to have a big say in this now. He came in a couple months back, did not hire the head coach and general manager. It's going to be a fascinating offseason here in Chicago. For now, there's nine games still left in the season. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure he doesn't mind not being the Big Ten commissioner right now. But, you know, I, I did. I think I made a joke the other day. Like, I bet one of the reasons that Josh McDaniels got fired is because he got his team got blown out by the Bears and, <laughs> and made the Bears feel like, oh, we got a chance. You know, and that's yeah. this is a team that has struggled all year. And, you know, one of the things I've said about the Saints is in, whenever things are going bad, fans like to say, oh, so and so is losing the locker room. DA is losing the locker room, this and that. And what I usually say is, like, it's usually not that hard to spot when a locker room is kind of falling apart at the seams because the whole, like the theme of that is there are things coming out that, that you cannot control. And, you know, you're ending up having to fire people. And, you know, I, I guess it's like, it, I think Ryan Poles is safe in his job because he's a, he's a new GM. And I think he has done a pretty good job of asset collection. You could probably quibble with some of the picks that they've made, but, you know, I guess from, from your perspective, is this is the core of the Bears as it is currently with Justin Fields and kind of this offense? Is that the sustainable model that they're looking at, or do you kind of anticipate that this offseason you'll see? You know, you have, might have the two top picks in the draft based on how things go the rest of the way. I think that's how it profiles right now. Do you see them kind of resetting the deck a little bit with how things are structured? We'll see. Uh, look, this is a the, – the term you keep coming back to, is the scouting term is blue town, blue chip players. Like, mm. there's probably two or three in this entire roster. Good teams have 10 to 12. Like, championship-level contending teams have that many. This team is still so far away at the top of the roster and then certainly at the bottom of the roster where you just – that's where you really feel a rebuild is when you get down to the second and third levels of the depth chart and you see, oh, this is a guy who's not supposed to be on an NFL roster. Like, that's what it looks like. That's how you get to 3-14 and 14 at the end of a season like last year. 
In terms of the key positions, like Justin Fields, we don't know if he's going to be the starter moving forward or not. This injury has been a huge setback in terms of that evaluation. Like last year, you kind of punted on it because you didn't have a lot of talent around Justin Fields. He had to be spectacular in his own right without being able to throw the ball to reliable receivers. And he was put in a really tough position. Like they believe this year he was going to take off and thrive with it. He looked really shaky in those first three or so games of the season. Had a couple great games, eight touchdowns over the course of two games, a a horrible loss to the Broncos where they collapsed, and then that win Thursday night in Washington a couple weeks back. And then he goes down with this injury, and he's about to miss his third straight start. It's going to be Tyson Bajan again. Like I said, Bajan is a nice story, but I don't think he's anywhere near the answer for the Bears long term. But at this point, you don't know if you're going to get a true evaluation of Justin Fields and whether he's the guy long term. Like when nine, about to be eight games left for Justin Fields, if he's able to come back next week on a short week against the Panthers, you're still kind of left with ambiguity at that spot. Now, Jeff, you mentioned the idea of picking one and or two with the Panthers pick and the Bears pick. Sounds great. You'd love to get Caleb Williams. It makes your decision really easy. But like, there's a lot of teams that are also gunning for that number one spot. I think the Cardinals are falling fast toward that. Keep an eye on the team like the Packers, who really look like a mess. Like, they could be looking to that. Like, there's a lot of teams that are going to be kind of low-key tanking for that spot. It's not a guarantee that the Bears can get Caleb Williams or Drake May, at which point you don't really know what you're going to do with the quarterback spot. So uh, there's a lot of uncertainty there. It'd be great if Justin Fields came back from this injury, whatever it is, and just took off. And they built an offense around him. They fit everything for Justin Fields to be successful. All the moving pockets, all those quick decisions that he needs, and he thrives. And you just know for sure he's your guy. But they don't, they're not at that point right now. They're still a while away from making that decision. Uh, looking at the other side of the football, I think a huge surprise, probably for a lot of people. I'm not, especially Bears fans. Ten sacks for just, this season. It's like it's just unheard of for me to the thing of the Chicago Bears, monsters of the midway. You know the the organization, the whole mystique of the team, and they've got they, they're last in the NFL with ten sacks. What is going on there with the the no pass rush going on? See, that's good for them right now. They had 20 last year. Their leading sacker was the safety in Jaquan Brisker. He had four. Like, you can't have that if you're an NFL team, if you want to be this style of defense. Uh, Matt Eberflus's defense is that kind of old-school Tampa 2 base where you're not really rushing five, six, seven, eight. Like, you're not bringing the house off, and you need to get home with four. They don't have four guys they can get home with at this point. That's why you make a deal for Montez Sweat. Right. They made that aggressive trade at the deadline on Tuesday. They send the second round pick over to Washington. Now they don't have a deal That's for Montez. High value pick. Yeah. I think they're going to get that done. Ryan Poles, we talked to him yesterday, general manager said they're confident. They're already working on that. Montez Sweat, for his part, said, I kind of want to explore things. I want to see through this all. He knows he has all the leverage in the world in this right. spot. They will get a deal done. That's a guy with six and a half sacks so far in eight games this season immediately becomes one of the Bears' best defensive players, if not the best defensive player. Uh, bolsters that pass rush. Everything starts to function a little bit better when you get a guy like Montez Sweat in the building. Still 27 years old, a guy who's going to be really highly productive for a number of years to come. You feel really good about getting a guy like that in your building and in this defense. So that's the answer to a lot of problems. I mean, is the indication that he's going to play this week? He says so, yeah. Uh, Matt Eberfuss okay. is a they saying there's the ramp up. I don't know why there's there's no ramp up. This guy played has like you said six and a half sacks over eight games. He doesn't need any acclimation period, so he right. should be out there. He's already got his number, number ninety eight. I think you'll see him plenty on Sunday. Gotcha. And you know, obviously, you're switching sides of the ball. We've talked about the offense in terms of you know it's there's 
question marks all over it. But it does seem like when this offense has worked, it's been behind the run game. And, you know, obviously Justin Fields was there for, you know, some of those games. But against the Raiders, I think Deontay Foreman had a monster game. Um, I know it was Roshan Johnson and Deontay kind of last week splitting splitting carries. What is, the, you know, the key to that run game? Because I, I think that's probably if the Saints – are worried about anything it's the bears getting traction on the ground and making life a lot easier on the rookie quarterback yeah this is an offense that ran for over three thousand yards last year they they really that was their identity the basis of this offense was about right. running the football it's been a little bit more difficult this year like they lost dave montgomery in free agency they wanted him back he had a similar offer between the bears and the lions chose to go to detroit the division rival because he knew they were going to be ready to win and he made ultimately what's been the right decision for him Khalil Herbert's on IR. He's not going to be out there Sunday. Roshan Johnson missed a couple games with a concussion. They hoped he would be that next man up. So, yeah, you've turned to Deontay Foreman quite a bit. This guy, like, you'd love a guy like this in the NFL, a guy who's been that veteran who hasn't had anything really handed to him. Like, he, when he's had that opportunity, like last year in Carolina, when McCaffrey gets traded, when Derrick Henry went down a couple years ago in Tennessee – he steps in and he just kind of continues to carry things forward. Uh, you, you love a steady veteran who understands his role and is just ready to step in like that. This guy runs tough. It's a downhill presence. He's a bowling ball when he gets to that second level. Um, so, yeah, I think you're going to see plenty of him on, on Sunday because that's what the Bears need out of him. They, they kind of got away from the run game on last Sunday night in L.A. when that game got away from them early, but – if everything goes well, you're able to continue to run the ball and complement Tyson Bajan the right way by having Foreman and Roshan Johnson be those kind of reliable backs for you. I do, I do have one other quick question. Um, so I'm looking at the depth chart. And right now, right here, I do not see a backup listed for middle linebacker for Tremaine Edmonds. Who would be the backup middle linebacker if he doesn't go? Yeah, that'd be Jack Sanborn, the uh, second-year guy and undrafted rookie uh, for the Bears last year out of Wisconsin. Um, he stepped in. He's somebody who... Starter potential. Like, this guy's a really steady player in that position. Um, not great sideline to sideline, but, you know, he's a straight-level player who's going to rack up a lot of tackles when he's out there. So uh, he'd be the next guy up. They did get good news on Tremaine Edmonds. He is considered day-to-day. He was avoided a more serious knee injury. We'll see about Sunday. Uh, we're about to get out to practice here soon. I'll have a better sense of his availability then. But uh, I think he'll be probably a game-time decision for Sunday. How's Bajan's mobility? That's one thing the Saints have had issues with, guys that are kind of, you know, able to move around and and get free. I I don't think he's taken off much, huh? No, don't make me say deceptively fast. I don't want to do it. Like he, he can, he can get out the pocket, and make some plays. I, I got I you. Him back in August, you're like, what? Well, what's your style of play? Who do you model yourself after? He goes, look, I don't really model myself after any particular player, but I want to consider myself to be a playmaker. Like there's some, there's some pop plays of him running the ball in the preseason where he gets outside that pocket and. He's not blowing you away. He's not, you know, running by everybody, but he's got that ability to get some extra yards and make some plays. So you're going to see it, especially when the offensive line still kind of figuring it out and dealing with injuries. Right. Like he's ready to run if he needs to. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of comp him to another guy. The Saints are apparently going to have to face Taylor Heineke. It kind of feels like a similar situation where it's like these are yeah. probably they're probably career backups. That's uh, a great, job, but yeah. you know they're getting chances in the yeah. NFL. I think Tyson was so Tyson was Shepard and Taylor was Old Dominion and not exactly quarterback factories. Um, <laughs> this isn't even a question; it's just something to to note. Uh, so the Saints they have Nephi Sewell on the roster. The Bears have Noah Sewell on the roster. So you're going to have a you're going to have a Sewell. I bet they trade jerseys. I, if I had to put money on it, I would guess that they end up trading jerseys after the game. 
I'd hope so. Yeah, man, it's a cool. That's a football family. Uh, yeah. Noah's an interesting player for the Bears now. This is a guy who was really highly regarded, like a five-star type prospect at Oregon. One of those guys who kind of fell in the draft. He never really materialized into that player at the college level. They love his upside. Like I, they just locked in two linebackers in Edmonds and Edwards long term. But they love what Noah Sewell could ultimately be. And he's a really interesting developmental developmental piece for this team. So you'll see him on special teams, number forty four out there. I don't think he'll be starting for Edmonds. I think that'll be Sanborn. But uh, yeah, the Bears really like this guy. We like to get into two. Um, you know, going into the matchup, is there a, a Bears player going into this game? that could end up being a factor that maybe we haven't talked about. Not one of the bigger names, uh, someone, though, that Saints fans should be wary of in this matchup. Yeah, uh, 13, Tyler Scott, the rookie out of Cincinnati, a fourth-round pick. He and Tyson Bajan have really good chemistry. Like, this is a guy who, obviously, because they were both kind of working with the reserve group throughout training camp, like, that was kind of his go-to guy. Uh, Tyler Scott's a guy who's really eager to step up with this offense. After the trade of Chase Claypool back in early October, like, Scott was kind of the next man stepping in. You see his playing time continue to increase. He's really embraced this moment. Guy was really well-liked as a rookie stepping in with this team. And then I'll, I'll say the obvious one, Darnell Mooney, the uh, the Tulane product, the guy yeah, coming back home. in the dome. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be very excited to be back there. So I, I think he'll love to be a part of that game plan. And in addition to DJ Moore, you got a good young mix of that wide receiver group. And Bayshon can get them the ball, and they can withstand a really tough defensive matchup. You might see a couple of those guys make some plays. Yeah, and then the good news for the Bears wide receivers is they don't have to worry about C.J. Gardner-Johnson antagonizing him anymore. You know, that's that's a good thing, right? You don't want your wide receivers getting kicked out of multiple games in a season. So, you know, they can deal with that. In God, that, that. that game feels like it was like ages ago, and it feels like it really actually never happened from the Bears' perspective. Uh, both of them, we yeah. got them twice in the same season, but in a playoff game. I mean, yeah. I thought you're going to get. I thought he was legitimately going to be released right after the game. Uh, I the, from the Bears side, I thought you might see people fire. Like it was just, it was so embarrassing for that team. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. 2020. It's a season that we'd all rather forget. So might as well just <laughs> swipe the slate clean. Anyway, Chris Emma, reporter for 670, the Score and Odyssey, covering the Bears. Thanks so much for joining us to break this down. And uh, what what's your score prediction for this weekend? Before you go. I'm on Saints 27-13. All right. It's always telling like when, the, it. when the beat reporters are, are <laughs> predicting double-digit. I got, the, I got New Orleans covering, too. So. Yeah, it's, I think it's seven and a half points. I feel like that's a safe bet. Um, but, I, again, I, Chris, I thanks so much. I appreciate for that one. All right, man. Thanks. Take care. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks again to Chris Emma, Bears reporter for 670 to score and Odyssey. You know, a great breakdown there. And I think, you know, kind of what he what he says, I, I do enjoy doing those interviews because I think you get a really good read on the confidence level of of the team when you talk to a beat reporter, because sometimes a team might be do, playing poorly, but you're going to get some some upbeat stories. You're going to say, well, this team is rounding into form. They're confident, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and sometimes you'd be like, are they, you know, but, you know, I think the Bucks came and was like, yeah, well, this is a team that's playing well right now. And, uh, you know, whereas, you know, sometimes you'll hear like that where it's like, oh, yeah, this team is is in trouble. You know, uh, this team is not is not doing not doing so hot. Shoot, that, um, that was last week right when now. we talked to the Jags guest. He was very negative and we couldn't believe it. Like, wait a minute. You guys have been on a tear right now. And he's like. Man, it's, I'm just not confident going into this game. They look exhausted, kind of thing. Their tired team yeah. expects sloppy game for them. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, it makes sense. But also, like, I, like I think it's a, 
I said this at the time. It's like this is a team that doesn't that doesn't know what's happening right now. Like, well, what is this? This isn't what we do. And and you know, and that's kind of what you saw. It's like, oh wait, they are figuring it out. And they have a co- a coach and a quarterback that can get it done. And you know, it's just like that's that's not the vibes you're getting out of Chicago right now. And like, this is a game, you know, it's the type of game, like, like I said, I, I was halfway joking, but Josh McDaniels getting fired. Like, I do think that Bears game had something to do with it. I think when you go out and look that bad against the team that is in this bad of shape, uh, you know, that's, that's a terrible look for you. And it's a terrible look for the organization and no one wants to be embarrassed. And if you are going out there feeling like you're getting embarrassed, you're going to have to do something, right? Like fans are not going to stand for it. And so I think that makes this a dangerous game for the Saints. In terms of, you got all these positive vibes right now. Everyone's feeling good after that Colts game. The offense finally got going. If you go out there and you lay an egg and you and you look like the Raiders did a couple weeks ago when you lose to Tyson Bajan, uh, you know the noise gets loud there too, right? So I think these are the types of games that's like they they're you have to win them because they are so winnable, and they're and not every game is like that, right? Like you hear all the time, there's parity and and teams, any team can beat any other team, and while that's true. If you want to be taken seriously, you can't allow that to be true in a game where this is a team that clearly does not feel confident in itself. It's starting a backup quarterback. It can't get pressure on the quarterback. It can't cover. They can't do anything well, really, unless it's Justin Fields running the ball. So, yeah, I mean, anyway, like we can talk about this more in the next segment. But I think this, this is a game that it, the Saints should feel like we win this or there's hell to pay. Ain't no doubt about it. This is definitely one of those feels you're going into it. I, at least I do. It's definitely varsity versus JV going into the game. It's And you're at home. Yeah. And right. I don't want to hear, right. oh, right. they haven't been good at home. I don't care. You're still at home in the Dome against a, a clearly lacking team with a quarterback that's going to be in who knows and what kind of tizzy in that Superdome crowd because you know how hard it is to hear field level. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just saying, like, I don't see being at home as the advantage that it once was because this team doesn't play better at home. So it's like I almost feel worse about it in terms of men. They're more likely to come out flat for some reason. Anyway, let's wrap up this segment. Thanks again to Chris Emma for coming on. We'll come back and we're going to talk more about – I want to talk about Chris Olave a little bit and then talk about some of the quarterbacks they've faced and kind of this weird dynamic of, of not playing quarterbacks that you have any experience of watching. And, and then also get into X-Factors. So this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Hit us up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak, at Steve Geller, WWL. Check us out on YouTube at WWL Sports. And stay with us. We will be right back.